if someone tells you that uh, we have we have no competition, it means that they have not done their homework well. So you need to map your competition around how your solution solves that problem versus other solutions for that problem. Because all problems in the world are being solved, maybe badly, but being solved. So find out how your solution sits there and how you can build the commercial enterprise around that product. Welcome to MedSider Radio, where you can learn from proven medtech and healthcare thought leaders through uncut and unedited interviews. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this episode of MedSider, I sat down with Sina, the co-founder and CEO of Cognitivity Neurosciences. He's got a PhD in engineering from the University of Cambridge, where he met his business partner, Syed. The two co-founded Cognitivity, which develops assessment tests for clinicians and patients to detect cognitive impairment, including dementia. Here are a few of the key learnings that we chatted about in this interview. First, get input from experts at every step of the development process, starting with regulators and working back to your end users. Regulators, of course, will let you know what's needed to get your device or technology to the finish line, while end users will help you drive towards a compelling product offering. Second, think about the value and benefits of your products first, cost savings should come second. Cognitivity, for example, is focused on showing clinicians that their product can generate revenue for clinical practices. Making sure users get a return on their investment is key to seeing early adoption of your technology. Third, team up with fundraisers who have experience raising money in your field. Worry less about dilution and focus more on raising smart capital. A small piece of a large cake is worth more than a big piece of a smaller pie. Okay, so before we jump into the discussion, I wanted to let you know that we just released the first volume of MedSider Mentors, a print-based book that summarizes the key learnings from my favorite MedSider interviews over the past six months. Look, I fully realize it's tough to listen or read every MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones, but there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's a way for you to learn from the best thought leaders in our space in one central place. Here's a teaser of what you'll see in this first volume. Gar Hong Kong, founder of HealthQuest Capital, teaches you how to successfully pitch your startup. Patricia Ziliak, CEO of Ivinsons, discusses what you really need to know about clinical trials. Jared Bauer, CEO of Ionic Sciences, shares best practices for avoiding obstacles in your startup journey. That only scratches the surface, so if you're interested in learning more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. If you're a premium MedSider member, you'll get free digital access and a print version sent straight to your door. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of MedSider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Erica Rogers, CEO of Silk Road Medical, Dr. David Albert, founder of LiveCore, and so many others. Learn more by visiting medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Again, that's medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. All right, without further ado, let's get to the interview. All right, Sina, welcome to MedSider. Appreciate you coming on. It's a pleasure to be with you. Yeah, looking, definitely looking forward to the conversation, learning a little bit more about uh, the company you're building at uh, Cognitivity. But uh, let's start with uh, a little bit more about you. So without getting into the weeds, uh, can you provide um, us a kind of a high-level overview of your professional background before uh, before starting uh, starting the company? Absolutely. So I'm a mechanical engineer by background. I got a scholarship to go to University of Cambridge to do 
research in uh, synthetic biology, building nanobiosensors there. I got excited by uh, the, the world of ventures. I did a bit of uh, uh, work in different industries from management consultancies to, to manufacturing and also a bit of finance, number crunching because of my heavy mathematical background. I did a, a little bit of work in, in, in a hedge fund, but uh, where I got uh, the most buzz was the world of ventures, where you have all of these combined in a very fast-paced environment. So you have a bit of technology, you have a bit of uh, finance, you have a, a bit of science, and uh, all of them all working uh, very, very fast together. So I became the president of Cambridge University Entrepreneurs. It's a, it's a very exciting Society is completely student-run, uh, raised uh, money from the Cambridge cluster. Uh, we've got 3,000 companies around University of Cambridge, all tech, high-tech companies. Uh, get the money from uh, the tech cluster, and we uh, run business plan competition, bringing some of those successful entrepreneurs from the cluster. There's a little bit of, uh, they call it Silicon Fen, uh, as opposed to Silicon Valley. Uh, heavy in in life sciences, uh, because of Cambridge University's influence, that's where DNA was, was discovered. First, electron microscopy was discovered. There's a huge background to this um, ecosystem, uh, and that's where you get to see all uh, active uh, work. And that's where we started. I met my co-founder, and the whole journey began uh, with the company. Got it. That's a super helpful background. So based on kind of my background research, it looks like the company sort of, um, they sort of formally started around the 2013 timeframe. So can you give us an idea of how, how sort of the, the idea was sort of sort of born and, and what, what led to sort of the, not necessarily the aha moment, but like, you know, caused you, to, caused you guys to realize, hey, this is, this is a thing. And I think we need to build a company around this idea. Uh, absolutely. It came about when my co-founder, who's a computational neuroscientist, he was studying human vision, human brain, uh, as part of brain mapping project. He was studying human brain, particularly uh, during vision. What parts of the brain activated when we see things? And for how long this activation continues? What's the communication between different parts of the brain? and uh, using functional MRI uh, predominantly. FMRIs are used to map brain activity during a, a specific task, in this case, vision. So he registered a strong signal when one of the participants in his study were shown a picture of animal. And uh, he brought it to me, and this is, a, this is basically a, an abnormality. He brought it to me, said, this is interesting, let's have a look at it. Uh, the more we dig, the more we found uh, literature on this. Uh, something built deep in us uh, over the years of evolution, uh, which has become an instinct in response, responding to pictures or scenarios where animals are present. This is due to what we call food or fear phenomena. So during 2 million years of hunter-gatherers, we would walk for days looking for animals. That's why we spread around, around the world. And we were looking for animals, uh, repeating this for, for such a long time, built a very 
uh, strong uh, instinct in, in, in humans. Not only humans, other primates have shown the same uh, type of responses. So this was the observation and we started building the solution around this uh, observation. Got it. Okay, cool. Um, and so give, give us an idea of kind of where, where the company currently is in terms of its, its, its life cycle and, um, and kind of where, where things are in the, where things are at um, kind of over the near term horizon. We have validated the technology. So 2013 observation until 2015, 16, early proof of concept clinical trials. Uh, 2018, uh, we start our uh, pivotal uh, clinical trial, which expanded to uh, 11 uh, NHS trusts. These are different uh, areas of London being supported uh, by a healthcare provider, each of which is called a trust. So it was a massive undertaking. Uh, we completed that trial successfully, validated the technology, got CE uh, marking and FDA registration. Now we can market the products. FDA clearance came end of last year. Uh, now uh, we have signed our, our first commercial deals in the US doing some uh, pilots with big healthcare providers. You're also in the UK in a few of those NHS trusts that I mentioned. And you're also in the Middle East. So at this stage, our, uh, uh, we, we are uh, building the commercial uh, momentum that we have in order to scale up the, t- uh, the, the company. Okay. Okay. That, that, that's helpful. And I know we're going to get into, um, you know, a, a series of questions here around kind of what, what you've learned, not just, not just, uh, you know, by, by build, you know, through building, you know, um, cognitivity, but just, you know, some of the, some of the other insights that you pulled from your, uh, your kind of your startup experiences at, 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 uh, at, you know, as, as leading the Cambridge entrepreneurship, um, club as well. But before we go there, most of those clinical and regulatory milestones that you just mentioned, Sina, those are with respect to is it is it Cog, Cognica? How do you pronounce? How do you one Cognica. of the one of the platforms, right? Cognica. Cognica. Okay, got it. Got it. Okay. <laughs> and, and and am I correct? Are those those reg and clin milestones kind of associated with that platform? Okay. And then you've got another one called Optimine. Can you kind of explain the difference between the the two? So Cognica is a medical product. Uh, used by medical professionals in order to assess uh, cognitive performance clinically. So I keep using clinical in in, in this context, and the output is a clinical output uh, based on which the patients uh, will start their their diagnostic pathway. Uh, So you can call it a screening uh, tool. Optimize is more of a health uh, or well-being product whereby uh, users can benchmark themselves versus uh, themselves and see if any changes in their lifestyle has an impact on con- cognitive well-being over time so they can do more of what's uh, helpful and less of what's harmful. Got it. Okay. Perfect. That's helpful. Um, so let, that, that serves as a nice transition into um, um, into kind of the, the uh, what, what the early versions of, of both products maybe, maybe look like. So if you can take us back to, you know, that, that 2000, 2000, 2013, 2014 timeframe, um, you've got this idea, right? Like you you mentioned your co-founder kind of, you know, saw under fun- functional, um, uh, functional um, uh, MRI that like, wow, there's, there's this, there's this cognitive response when we as humans, you know, see an animal. So, you know, as you start to think, okay, there's, there's a product here, this, this has legs, 
what were some of the key learnings as you kind of iterated, you know, on those alpha and beta, beta versions that, you know, in, when, when you look back at that kind of that time window, some things maybe you did right, or maybe some things that you, you wish you could have, you know, redone? Wow. Okay. Uh, so there's, there's plenty we would do uh, differently, particularly because uh, what we started back in 2013-14 was, was a big frontier of a full-blown sector now known as digital health. So there was not much that we can look at in form of peers or examples that have gone uh, down uh, the pathway, both from regulatory uh, point of view, product development. So we had to do a lot of uh, the work ourselves. We actually had a lot of conversations with regulators because this was such a nuance that they had not dealt with in the past. For example, in the past, you put a product in front of the regulators and you say that this is a product and this is what it says on the tin and uh, they test it versus that and say, okay, now it, it does what it says on the tin. You are regulated and as long as you follow those procedures and, and, do, and, and build the same product, you're good to go. Uh, in our case, we're using artificial intelligence. Uh, we're collecting data, just fed back. Uh, to AI, which gets better as uh, we we go forward. So your product, by definition, is improving over time. So this is such a nuance that uh, we had to communicate and, and and educate regulators, if you like, as we were going along. And they're using our example now for for other uh, entries uh, to to the to the space. So there's a lot that we could do differently, uh, but we had to try and error. But also from the good parts that we've done is putting this in front of uh, clinicians at the very early stage and understand what your end users look into for adoption. So I I really recommend that uh, as part of product development, that initial uh, feedback uh, that can go back to your design cycle. it's it, it's easy to sit down and imagine a product that is ideal for your customers, but uh, you can do all the hard work and uh, you face a, a, a brutal reality that that that's not the case. So one of the good things that we've done is from the very early days we have been in direct communication with end users, which are clinicians, and. Uh, have taken a lot of inputs. I personally, I think uh, when we had. Proof of concept, uh, even not not coded, just uh, in a form of a PowerPoint presentation. I talked to 50 GPs that I reached out randomly uh, to see if if there is a product like this, would they be uh, using it? If not, what they need to see. So that's that's one of the good things we've done. But the form of the clinical trials that we've designed was could have could have been done uh, easier, simpler, quicker. Uh, the pivotal uh, study. So these these are the stuff that if I go back, I would uh, do more in in form of the the positives and negatives. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's helpful. And when, and when you think about even some of the um, the startups that you've that you've seen, you know, through your uh, experiences leading, you know, Cambridge um, University entrepreneurs, do you think that's where most of them kind of struggle, or that's the area where they get they get hung up? Is they just don't get enough feedback from end users? I think that's one of the major issues in general with the tech, with, with the startups. You normally have extremely smart 
founders that uh, they, they, they imagine and assume the end product. And um, it, it's, it's, you, you have to be creative and just being driven by your customers is not accurate. Uh, it's not the right way to go. But also you need to get those feedbacks on throughout the uh, development of your products uh, throughout the cycle. Got it. Um, let, let's let's transition and, and talk a little bit more about kind of your 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 clinical you know, how, how you've approached um, kind of the regulatory paths with both of your platforms, right? And if I you mentioned earlier, Cognica is FDA registered and I think C marked, correct? I have that that right. But Optimind is that is that the case with Optimind at all? Is that is that a regulated platform or product? Well being product, well being okay. product. They have lower bar. You're not dealing with a clinical decision, so. Uh, that's where uh, the, the tech industry actually uh, focusing now because uh, the regulatory bar is a lot lower. And uh, for consumer health, uh, that's where uh, most of focus uh, is, is at the moment. Got it. Let, let's talk a little bit about that, um, right? That, that trend, because I've seen the same thing and I've, um, I've been involved kind of in both, in startups and both that operate in kind of both, I guess, spheres, you know, for lack of a better description where, you know, with, with devices that are highly regulated versus those that kind of like toe the line between, you know, kind of a consumer wellness product and a, and a medical device. And so how have you kind of, how have you been able to, to, to balance those, especially as it relates to Optimind, right? And, and, and that pivot to maybe a consumer platform. Can you talk, can you walk us through kind of your thoughts around that? Uh, it's very simple. We're focusing on uh, on the medical product at the moment. So there's a lot of noise out there. When you're not regulated, you can claim anything. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's the area uh, which uh, it's hard to stand out. Uh, it's become uh, more of who's got more marketing budget uh, <laughs> to get uh, more eyeballs and more uh, influencers on board. But uh, in, in, in what we have strategized, we have a scientific deep IP product that is validated. We want the professionals of the world of the space in clinicians be our early adopters in the medical uh, realm. And then when that adoption is there and when that uh, reference customers are there, then you can have a well-being product which is using the same uh, background science. So this is, this is how we stand out in terms of the well-being product. It's something... Put it in, in a simplistic terms, it's a blood pressure uh, tool that your uh, clinician uses in his office, and then you can get a consumer version of, version of it at home. So that's our uh, strategy there. It's not to um, go actively around uh, getting Optimine out uh, and uh, try to push that product out. Got it. This this conversation reminds me of, of one I had with... Um... Rohan, who's his, his last name is escaping me now, but he's the founder of Leaf Therapeutics, and they they actually took a little bit of an opposite approach where they launched with uh, with their wearable device as a consumer product, namely because it was just it was a, there was a lower barrier to entry and they could launch faster. They used a lot of those those early insights right from from consumers and and uh, and clinicians that just had access you know easier access to the product, and they used a lot of those those findings to inform you know, their, their, their clinical uh, device, which is regulated and they're pursuing, you know, with a little bit more uh, scientific rigor. And so a little bit, a little bit of a different approach, but I, I see, I see where you're going with that thought where it's like, you're, you're able to succeed with Optimind 
because of the what you've been able to substantiate with you know Cognica is what it sounds like. Exactly. The different approaches. Uh, again, when you go to the consumer space, when you go B2C, there are different factors involved. There's a different marketing strategy, marketing budget, and uh, uh, there's no one way uh, or one answer to this. Uh, you can get a lot of uh, data uh, that can inform your product for the medical product if you go on, uh, on, on the B2C model. But again, for, for, for us, uh, standing out from uh, a lot of uh, stuff out there was uh, the point that we uh, made to stay clear from the consumer uh, market for now, why we build that, those verticals in, in the clinical uh, space. Got it. Okay, cool. Uh, that's, that's helpful just to get your, your thoughts on kind of those, those two approaches. Because I, I see it as, um, I mean, there, there definitely seems to be a trend, right? With, with companies kind of either uh, uh, approaching, approaching both kind of, kind of markets um, and, you know, maybe, maybe in, in, in a different order. But um, it's interesting to hear kind of your, your take on how, uh, how you've done that at, at Cognitivity. Um, with that said, Sina, let's talk, um, let's talk, let's jump to scientific evidence, right? You mentioned that, um, you mentioned, you know, your, your pivotal trial a couple of times now. Um, when you think about how you've approached really clinical affairs in general and building out kind of a, a, a kind of a, a clinical roadmap and, and, and substantiating your platform with, uh, with data. Um, are there any like key lessons that you've learned along the way that would be helpful for, you know, for other, you know, startup founders and CEOs that are kind of in, in that, in that same boat? There are, but uh, it could be very specific. Let me think about something a bit more generic. I think it's really worth having a few different opinions and also work this backward from what regulates again same way that you approach uh with with your product in getting as much as feedback as you can from your customers or end users uh i'd start with uh the regulators uh try to understand and work it backwards what they need to see in order to to be satisfied that your product can do what you uh, claim it uh, it will do. So, I would start that initial conversation, and you can you can always communicate with uh, the FDA, MHRA, other these bodies, uh, their agents. They're responsive. Uh, again, backlog might be uh, too long now because of uh, COVID with all regulators, but uh, we had the, we had great experience with with with, with uh, both FDA agents and. Um, and MHRA uh, in that um, we ran by them what we're trying to do. They never tell you that do this or do that, but they will make you aware uh, of uh, the risks and things that you might have overlooked. So I recommend and also get as many as uh, input to this from different bodies. There's lots of consultants out there. Because again, you can go and design a clinical trial uh, protocol. It sounds it's ticking the box, but there's so many nuances uh, that might have not been considered. And some little changes in your design can have a huge impact on the length of the trial, the cost of the trial. So I would spend some money at the very uh, beginning of designing this uh, and bringing some specialists uh, from different groups to gather all inputs because it's going to save a lot of resources uh, down the line and also time. Got it. And so, so what, I mean, the, the, the two things that I, that I, that, that kind of stood out, you know, hearing you describe kind of your thoughts on, on how to, 
you know, some, some maybe some best practices here is, is definitely start with the end in mind, right? And reverse engineer like the path on, on, on how to get there. But, you know, when thinking about that, you know, once you've sort of defined what that path looks like, it's a mistake to kind of just maybe, you know, work in a, you know, w- work with like one, one group of consultants or one, one consultant specifically. I mean, it's, it's, it's ideal to get, you know, feedback, even if maybe one is, one is sort of your lead, right. But it's, you know, it's invaluable to sort of get some different, different, uh, different, you know, thoughts on, uh, on, the, on the approach. Yeah. Absolutely. I think the cost of, uh, probably your, your cost might, might, again, depends. Um, just putting some numbers as a ballpark figure, uh, maybe tens of thousands of dollars uh, spent at the very beginning can save you literally millions of dollars down the line in form of the uh, trial design and the length of it. So absolutely get multiple uh, views on it and uh, and design a, a efficient study for what you want to claim. And what you want to claim, you need to run it by end users. Make sure it's uh, been taken up, and also make sure it's reimbursed. You can do all of you can tick all of these boxes. Talking to consultants at the very beginning, not building something that then you have to uh, find a good fit for it later on. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned re- re- reimbursement. Um, let's let's chat about that a little bit, right? Because that that arguably in some scenarios is maybe the most important aspect to, to any, any business is like, you know, who's going to, who's going to, who's going to pay for this, right? Um, how's this going to be, you know, covered and reimbursed. And so with that said, uh, I, I talked to us a little bit more about, you know, Cognica and, and Optimine. I'm assuming Optimine is kind of more of like a, a, a cash pay sort of, uh, you know, platform, but is, is Cognica, is that, is that covered and reimbursed by most insurers or how have you, generally speaking, how have you approached that, that game? So uh, there are um, reimbursement codes for uh, cognitive assessment, computerized cognitive assessments. So also, again, one other point to uh, consider here, digital health, a very new uh, sector. Uh, Regulators are catching up games and and, uh, payers are even behind regulators uh, in in that stream. So uh, be aware of that. And there are reimbursement codes for computerized cognitive assessment. However, uh, these are designed by the t- uh, or optimized based on the time spent with 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 the patients, uh, which is counterintuitive to what we do because we do this uh, more accurately, more quickly. And this is where uh, the whole discussion around value-based healthcare is is going. In that, at the end of the day, the output is important and the outcome is important not that specific time or that specific task done during the process. Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium.